going to sort of cover two things today. First, I'm going to talk um, specifically about a uh, project that uh, um, we at NISA undertook for the um, Migration Advisory Committee on uh, um, strategically important skills and uh, the role of migration and migration policy uh, in uh, um, enabling British businesses to access strategically important skills. Uh, and then uh, um, uh, at the end I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the wider issues uh, raised by this sort of research and some thoughts that I, I've had more generally about some of the wider impacts of migration on the economy, uh, particularly in relation to uh, uh, productivity in high value uh, uh, industries and sectors. Um, and talk a bit about some research uh, um, which we plan to be undertaking in, in, in the coming months and years. So, very briefly, um, what is the, uh, um, the role of, of skilled migration in uh, economic <coughs> performance from a uh, theoretical point of view? Uh, why might high-skilled uh, um, migration contribute to improved uh, economic performance? All these, I suspect, are broadly familiar. Uh, skilled migrants may make it easier to use skill-intensive technologies. If a, a company wants to, to, to move to a higher skill level, skilled migrants may help it do that. Migrants bring not only skills but, but knowledge, um, which they transfer <coughs> to some extent to the companies that they are working for. Uh, that may in turn help facilitate innovation. Um, they may contribute, they may help companies be able to absorb technologies uh, and techniques which they wouldn't otherwise have been able to avoid. And there may be complementarities. Uh, um, skilled migrants in particular may make um, workers, native workers, more, more at, at, who are different skill levels, different aptitudes, uh, more productive. Um, but there's a key tension and trade-off, and this has been recognized, I think, in migration policy certainly for at least the last 10, 10 years or so. I mean, this has been a, a key um, issue for successive governments in working out how migration policy ought, ought to work, and it's been a, a key issue for the Migration Advisory Committee, is that, in principle, you'd think that there would be some sort of trade-off at, at, at a national level uh, uh, and that, uh, um, between allowing migrants in, um, which boosts your skill levels in the short term, but potentially might reduce the incentive for employers to train native workers. If they can get migrant workers easily, uh, then they're less likely to train native workers. And that in turn means that over time, uh, the native workers will be in aggregate less trained, less skilled than they would otherwise be. Um, and that will reduce future productivity. That's particularly the case, obviously, if the migrants then uh, um, decide that they can, might as well go somewhere else. Um, and we are left with, uh, with un untrained uh, uh, native workers and lower productivity as a consequence. Um, now, what do those trade-offs, does this trade-off actually exist? And what does it look like in, in practice? Uh, obviously very, very difficult uh, uh, to do, uh, um, to, to, to think about. So the aim of, of this project for the MAC was to have a, a, what I would call a first go, primarily at a descriptive and qualitative la level. Uh, of it assessing uh, how firms actually uh, uh, think about uh, these issues. Um, so uh, um, uh, what was the research about? 
Um, and at this point, uh, uh, um, I have to, uh, as I often do uh, on these occasions when I front up for research, I have to confess to being a bit of a fraud. The research was, was primarily done uh, by uh, uh, researchers at NISA. So, um, the, uh, the research was designed to, first of all, well, what, are, what are we talking about when we talk about strategically important skills? This is not just about skilled workers, this is about skills that are likely to be particularly important, where the sorts of issues that I identified on the previous slide, um, complementarities, sort of essential links in the production process uh, um, are, uh, are most important. Um, and then to, to think about what the uh, implications of that are, are for policy in sectors where those skills might be present uh, how does it affect location decisions of firms? How does it affect the wider employment opportunities and uh, uh, the UK workforce? How does it affect the incentives and decisions of companies, whether it's trained issue I mentioned before, and, and what does that all that mean for economic performance? So uh, the research, uh, uh, um, first of all, we did some descriptive analysis. Uh, this looked at uh, um, industries. We defined I'm not going to go through this in detail, but basically what we did was to take some of the government's objectives about uh, economic performance, industries that are high productivity, knowledge intensive, export intensive, all the sorts of obvious things, they're all set out in various government documents, look at those quantitatively, uh, um, list them, and try and work out in which, which of those industries were, were migrant workers uh, um, particularly likely to be. Uh, working, uh, particularly migrant workers coming in through the skilled bits of the PBS, uh, were they likely to be working, uh, what were they doing, uh, uh, and so on. And then um, we focused on, on two specific industries, the financial sector um, and the aerospace industry, uh, which we decided were both uh, strategically important according to the criteria that, that we listed, and where there were a significant number of migrant workers and, 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 and employers were used to using migrant workers to fill uh, uh, um, uh, high-skilled jobs. Uh, as I'll say later, it wasn't quite clear whether they thought, my, the employers thought those skills were strategically important, but where there are quite a, a number of, of, of skilled, uh, uh, skilled migrants. So we, the, the key questions were, well, what are these strategically important skills and occupations? Uh, um, and then where employers needed people and couldn't find them, what were, what were they doing <coughs> to address them? Well, how did shortages impact uh, employers' recruitment decisions? And how did migration and the, uh, uh, um, the migration system uh, um, uh, uh, impact on, on employers' decisions? How did employers take the decision to recruit workers from abroad, particularly workers coming through uh, um, the point-based, uh, the skilled levels of the point-based system. And then relating to that, where, uh, uh, um, where there was, at least in principle, a choice between training uh, British workers and recruiting mig migrant workers, um, how did employers make those decisions? What did employers think were the, in, in these sectors, think were the, were, were, were the key factors in trade-offs? And then finally, uh, um, what were the implications for policy. Um, I will just go briefly through the uh, um, through some of the key findings. What did uh, uh, employers think strategically uh, uh, important employees look like? And I think it, it's worth, uh, uh, um, not surprisingly, the, these uh, employees were, were very highly qualified. Uh, they were typically uh, um, uh, uh, degree level, at least um, in the uh, aerospace uh, um, industry, they're often engineers with, with postgraduate qualifications, 
um, often in, in, in quite, uh, quite specific uh, 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 fields. That was also true of some of the technical uh, roles in, in, in banking uh, um, and the financial sector. And they often had quite a, a, a lot of uh, experience um, in the industry or, or sector uh, um, in, in which they were working. So we are talking about, uh, um, I would say, um, two broad sets of, uh, if you look at the list of, of, of skills, you're th- th- talking about two, two broad sets of, quote, skills, unquote. One is, is, is what we would normally think about, it, uh, may, and maybe you could describe this in the one sense as one is about skills, one is about knowledge. Skills, here we are talking about what are known as STEM skills mostly, scientific, technical, engineering and management. Very high level technical skills that you get by being trained um, or working in these very specific technical areas. Knowledge, however, is perhaps a rather broader thing. Uh, um, Knowledge from experience, from from working on the job in, in a particular sector, um, and, and this could be, this ranges from uh, uh, um, languages, which is maybe sort of obvious, but to things, more, much more specialized things. So, for example, I think uh, Islamic banking was one thing for, where you actually have to have know not just specific technical issues relating to Islamic banking, which there are some, but also just, uh, you know, you need to be part of the culture. I don't mean the Islamic culture, uh, Islamic culture in this sense, I mean part of the culture of Islamic banking. You need to have a knowledge of what that means and how that works. Um, and that is quite important, particularly in the financial sector for, for the, the sort of non-technical, knowledge of the, uh, more than just Islamic banking, knowledge of the, the, the culture and the environment in which uh, which this, this sector works, and that is um, highly valued uh, at, at uh, high school levels. And I think uh, many of us will know that for, from casual introspection. You know, our, um, um, my uh, my human capital um, is composed of a combination of some technical skills uh, in, in economics and related fields that I've gained partly through uh, uh, through my education and partly from from working on the job, and partly a knowledge of the uh, 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 of the culture, of what it's like working in government and policy, um, what uh, what sets of attributes are valued in the analytic and policy context, both nationally and internationally. That's human capital I have, and I think that is what we are talking about for uh, for for these people. So, why do uh, uh, um, firms uh, recruit uh, migrants for, for these types of, of roles. Um, it is a combination again of looking for these particular high level skills and looking for the, these knowledge and, and cultures. Um, and I think the key point here, and I'll come on to why this, this matters towards the end in terms of injury, is that to a very large extent, not exclusively, um, but to a large extent, Employers saw these uh, the uh, uh, migrant uh, recruits um, as complementary rather than substituting for the employees that they could potentially uh, uh, recruit uh, domestically. Um, these were people who had a skill and knowledge set um, that didn't replace uh, um, UK employees and wasn't largely uh, available domestically. Certainly not in the short term, and maybe not in the medium term. They were bringing things. Um, which uh, 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 domestic employees didn't have, 
and hence uh, uh, we're likely to improve um, the, produ the productivity and uh, 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 capacity of, uh, uh, of domestic firms. So what about training? Why weren't uh, these uh, skills and knowledge being uh, uh, um, produced domestically? Now, of course, here you, you do need to, uh, uh, um, to take what employers say with a, with a pinch of salt. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, employers may well say, well, you know, uh, of course we'd like to train them, but if we just can't, they don't, you know, if, uh, well, actually what they mean is, it's too expensive, it's cheaper to recruit a foreigner. Um, and, and you must, I think, in all, all of this sort of research, uh, um, it's necessary to, to critically aim off for that. Um, however, uh, um, I think we found uh, the employers that, that we talked to in this research reasonably convincing. Certainly on the aerospace side, there were already uh, very substantial levels of investment um, in domestic training, and a, a, a number of you may, may know, uh, one or two of the big aerospace companies uh, that, that we talked to, I can't name them, but you can probably uh, uh, um, make a reasonable stab at guessing, already have very well regarded expensive uh, uh, and high quality uh, apprenticeship uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and beyond uh, programs. So it's not that they um, are not doing training at all or that they are looking uh, uh, to migrants to fill what you might call the sort of entry level uh, uh, skill jobs. It is uh, generally uh, coming at a, at a, a somewhat uh, higher level. Mostly I think they said that they were looking for, for skill and knowledge sets that were not likely to be available in the UK and where there was no instantly obvious training strategy, even with significant financial investment that was likely to deliver, deliver that. And I think you, you can see from the, from the quote that, that um, uh, you can't snap your fingers and produce people like that. Uh, it is part of, of, it is a combination of skills and, and knowledge stroke culture. Um, that, that comes from working, uh, working in the sector in different roles over, over time. So uh, um, while they did identify the scope for expanding uh, uh, training, and of course uh, a number of them said that the government ought to be doing more and spending more on training, which is another thing that employers will, will always tell you, um, I think we, we were reasonably convinced that even uh, uh, um, industry sectors and companies that did take training seriously would not therefore, as a consequence, uh, automatically reduce uh, uh, demand for uh, migrant level in these uh, uh, um, highly skilled uh, levels of, uh, of employment. So going forward, uh, um, what, were, what were they going to do? Uh, they were taking some steps to increase the supply to, uh, to look at uh, um, uh, uh, improving the training pipeline, but on the whole, they were reasonably happy that their current recruitment practices uh, got the balance right, uh, uh, more or less, between uh, um, domestic training and, uh, uh, um, and migrant flows. Going forward, uh, uh, what are the impacts of policy change? Um, there were a range of concerns. I, I probably won't, uh, uh, won't list them because I think this is, they're, they're well known in the debate. But uh, uh, there were obviously quite uh, serious concerns, particularly around possible restrictions on the uh, um, intra-company transfer route. Also, uh, concerns, especially in the financial sector, on the uh, 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 about the impact of the post-study work route, uh, which is.
quite highly used, especially in London, by uh, the financial sector and indeed other, other business services. Um, and then finally on, on the proposed restrictions on settlement, where uh, uh, the obvious concern is, is not so much that people won't be allowed to settle, but they won't come here in the first place um, uh, if they are being invited here as, uh, as essentially as, as, as guest workers. Uh, um, most of the people in this category have a, a reasonable degree of choice about where they, uh, where they locate and where they're employed. So, uh, um, conclusions. Uh, um, fairly limited substitutability is essentially the point. Quite a lot of concerns about the potential impact of policy change at these, uh, these higher levels and some scope for uh, reducing levels of migration through training, but, uh, uh, but possibly not that much. Um, so where does, where does this leave us? I do just want to say a few words about uh, the uh, implications of this and the research agenda this suggests going, uh, uh, going forward. Um, and this is a point I, I've been making for a number of years, is that, which is that standard economic theory tells you that the, impact, the economic impacts of migration um, on output, on jobs, on productivity um, are likely to be pretty small and relatively short term. So uh, in, the, uh, in the extreme case where migrants are exactly like uh, natives, then migration shouldn't have any impact at all really, except increasing the size of the economy but leaving everything else, industrial structure, per capita output, prosperity, etc., uh, pretty much unchanged. If migrants have uh, higher skill levels, uh, well, that should improve uh, the, the natives, that should improve productivity and per capita output, but if you do the numbers, the quantitative impact is, of that is likely to be pretty small. You can just see that by a sort of standard, you know, back of the envelope exercise. Even if you, you know, increase imp imported, you know, I don't know, half a million graduates, who, you know, taking reasonable estimates of the graduate wage premium, what would that do to per capita GDP in the UK? I guess it's not more than 0.1%, maybe. Um, and most of that gain, actually, would, standard economic theory tells you, accrue to the migrants. Because of changing relative supply, it would boost the wages of the natives uh, uh, somewhat, but we are talking pretty small numbers. Um, and similarly, on the negative impacts, plausible estimates of the negative impacts of migration, again, give you pretty, pretty small numbers. So you end up concluding from those, uh, that, that sort of static analysis that uh, um, um, the economic impacts of migration are likely to be relatively small and transient. Um, now this is a bit of a puzzle because, of course, that theory that I've just uh, 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 outlined also tells you exactly the same thing about trade, especially about trade um, with countries that uh, um, are quite similar to us, like, for example, the European Union. Um, if you apply that same set, set of, same type of analysis to, uh, to things like the uh, single market, you come to the conclusion that actually it's not a huge, doesn't make a huge amount of difference that we have free trade. But no economist I know who's who, who you would take remotely seriously believes that for a minute, despite what the basic theory says. Um, so, um, what's really going on? Well, in the trade literature, uh, uh, there is a, uh, has been for some time a, a, a view that actually the standard uh, trade models uh, don't tell you very much about what trade really does to an economy. 
Um, but the impacts of, of trade, uh, trade restrictions or trade liberalizations probably <coughs> come through not of these um, static uh, changes in, in relative supply, static comparative advantage, but through dynamic impacts and complementarity. So, for example, uh, trade may increase competition within a particular sector that in turn forces firms to become more productive, even if they weren't at the start. It forces them to innovate, to improve their production process. It comes about through the sorts of complementarities that I've described. It comes across because you get agglomeration effects, uh, businesses clustering together in a particular locality because at a higher scale because they can serve a bigger market and because you of those, that clustering effect, you get, again, improvements in, in productivity. Um, and that really is the, uh, um, the sort of thing that, that uh, um, I think we, are, we were trying to look at at this research is not what's the static effect of what employing one more highly skilled engineer uh, um, in uh, the aerospace sector, what's the productivity of that individual person, it's what's the impact of the availability of a set of highly skilled workers to that firm to what extent does that make the sector in the UK more dynamic, more productive, more likely to be able to serve a, a, a much wider market, more likely for that industry to be able to cluster here. And that's clearly highly relevant as we look forward to uh, um, you know, what a supply-side growth agenda for the UK looks like over the next five to 20 years. The government has, I think, rightly identified a set of sectors uh, where uh, uh, um, the UK is likely to have over time a comparative advantage. Those include certainly the sectors we looked at in this context, uh, so high-tech manufacturing of which aerospace is a, a very large part of the country, certainly the financial sector. Others that I would mention uh, include the higher education sector, the pharmaceutical sector, um, business services, uh, 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 sector, possibly uh, 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 the health sector, tradable health, uh, health sector, um, and so on. Um, creative industries, another one. All of those uh, um, are sectors where uh, um, migration and migrant flows play quite a significant role um, in labour supply. So I think, um, as I said, this was a, uh, a relatively small. Uh, study uh, um, that primarily relied on, on, on qualitative and some descriptive quantitative research. Um, but uh, while there's been quite a lot of uh, study, as, as many of you will know, on uh, the uh, um, of, uh, on empirically on the what I would describe I described before as the static effects, for example, uh, um, the labour market impacts of migration, and I've done some of it myself. There's been really little or no research on these dynamic impacts, potential dynamic impacts of migration. I should say potential because this is very, I'm not uh, claiming that this is fact. I, I, say, I, I think that the, uh, the theory uh, is supportive and intuition supportive, but there really isn't a lot of evidence here. So for me, the key questions for future research are to what extent um, can we identify through further quantitative and qualitative research the, these dynamic impacts. Can, can we quantify the impacts uh, uh, on productivity, on innovation, and so far? Uh, those, I think, are quantitative questions uh, which you need to address by looking at uh, sectors <coughs> and firms. Um, and then, can we identify the specific causal mechanisms by which these impacts uh, might take place? 
Um, and I think this is, this is something which you need quantitative research, but you also need qualitative research to identify what these causal mechanisms are. Um, and I, you know, I, I do think this, this is quite an important and, and difficult question of how you identify what the causal mechanisms are. Um, people talk a lot in the uh, migration-related field about the benefits of diversity, which has always struck me as, as, as a pretty meaningless phrase, frankly. Um, I'm quite prepared to believe there are benefits to diversity, but I think you need to be quite analytical about saying, well, what are they? Is it because people are different? If, it, if they're different, is it because they're different? Is it because the interaction with different people produces different outputs? If so, what are those outputs? What are the causal mechanisms? Does it come about through conflict, <coughs> competition, cooperation? There are quite different mechanisms by which, quote, diversity, unquote, um, could have uh, um, could have benefits or indeed costs, and I think to get a handle on this one, really needs to um, identify in a in a rigorous and analytic way uh, what those causal mechanisms are. Um, we are just beginning a uh, uh, um, some further research on this, uh, but uh, I think it's something that researchers in the migration field in the UK ought to be ought to be interested in working on. So I will close with that.